So I wanted to talk today about wholeness. Yesterday's talk was about parts, and it's good to have a talk about wholeness. I think we learned to not trust our wholeness when we were young. We might have, we've always had qualities of wholeness, of compassion, kindness, presence. But often we grew up in families where that was something that was considered a weakness, to be compassionate, to be curious. So we learn not to trust our wholeness. We learn not to rely on it, and we learn to rely on parts of ourselves that might be angry or defended, protectors, fearful parts, false confidence parts. So really the practice is beautiful in that it's bringing you back to trusting your wholeness which has always been here since we were children. It's a coming back full circle. And they've been doing some research on compassion, a woman named Tanya Singer, and she found that 30% of people can't actually practice compassion. She was doing her research. And a therapist who was talking with her, he said, you know, it's possible that these people have trauma and compassion was not safe us to practice. And he said, it might be good to work with that 30%, and I'm sure some of us are in that 30%, and start to ask inside what parts of me don't feel safe in opening my heart, what parts of me don't feel safe in being whole. So that's part of our wholeness is looking at what might impede it, where, where we might not feel safe in being whole. And he actually says the question, Is there someone in there that won't let you open your heart? It's a really beautiful question when you sit on the cushion. It's hard to be present, or it's hard to practice metta or compassion. Is there someone in there that won't let you open your heart? And just in a really gentle, loving way to be aware of what that might be, rather than what we can do sometimes in any practice is hammer away at trying harder, working harder, doing different tools to access loving-kindness, or metta, or compassion. So I'm just offering you that question. Anytime we sit down, it's probably a useful question. Is there something in there that prevents us from opening our heart today? And qualities of wholeness are compassion, curiosity, calm, creativity, connection, courage, confidence, and clarity. And I can write those down. They're eight C words. And anytime you you are in these qualities, you know you're in wholeness. That's how you know you're in your bigger self. Those are operating. And it's really okay, I think, as we're trying to access this wholeness and these maybe parts, the qualities of ourselves that we learn not to trust. It's okay to access that slowly and to take your time. And what does it mean to embody compassion or courage or creativity? We don't have to do it all at once and try and be that all at once. It's really about building in safety with all of this. They asked my teacher Upandita once why in Theravada Buddhism they believe there's stages to enlightenment. And someone asked her, well, is it because we can't open to that much suffering at once? We need stages. 
need to do it slowly. And he goes, no, it's, it's actually because we can't open to that much joy at once. Our hearts aren't really trained to access that much richness. Like I said, we, we've learned not to trust it. So it's okay to go slowly. It's okay to go in a way that feels safe for you. Helen Luke, she's a teacher, I forget which community, but she writes about aging, and she says, really, it's learning to find this love that's bigger than emotion. And I like that, because it's, we can have our emotions, but it's accessing this presence, this compassion, clarity, kindness, all these C words, that's not a C word, kindness, but to make, to make that bigger than any emotion, that love that's bigger than emotion. And we all have it. It's not a secret thing or a special thing that only Dharma people get. And I think as we sit on the cushion, we learn to reconnect with tender, tenderness in ourselves, and maybe parts of us holding pain. And like I said yesterday, we learned to welcome all of ourselves home. And then we can access this bigger presence that's this love that's bigger than emotion. Just reminding you what Abraham Kavaiti said yesterday, everything you feel and everything that is here is a family, a member of your family. In your mind, if you are angry, that is a member of your family. If you are sad, that is a member of your family. So you adjust the members of your family so you stand powerful in your place at the center of your universe. And really, eventually, the beauty of wholeness is that the parts become the whole and the whole becomes the parts. There's not a division. We're, as Teresa de Avila said, we're a house undivided. Our natural state is not divided. And why we get so much solace in nature is when we go out there, nature's not divided against itself. Those cows are out there are not divided. They're not thinking they should be sheep. <laughs> At least we don't think so. They don't seem to act like they're thinking they should be sheep. A tree is not wondering, you know, why is that one so much bigger and what's my problem and why are my leaves less green than the other one? It, it, it's like nature just knows what it is and it, it doesn't compare or judge and it's not divided. As human beings, we have this great gift that we can separate out and compare and judge and know things. But it also can create division, so in a way we're coming back to our wholeness through the practice. And it's a way, it's a beautiful thing, really, how to be you, and this separate you, this body-mind, obviously we're all separate, but to also be your inner change and your interconnectedness with all that is. You know, this us that's here right now is informed by genetics, it's informed by everything that ever was and ever will be. This present moment is informed by a gazillion conditions that we didn't control. They've done a lot of really new, interesting research with trees, and they find that there's a whole communication network with trees through both the fungi of trees and the carbon exchange. And researcher Samar said that the fungi that forms underground communication networks between trees in North American forests and big old trees dubbed mother trees 
are hubs in this fungal network playing a key role in supporting all the other trees in the forest. Samard and her graduate students showed every tree in a 30-meter forest stand was connected to every other tree with an estimated 250 to 300 trees being connected together in a single forest stand. So they're all communicating. And they've been researching the sound of whales too. Kind of in a whole other level of nature. And they're starting to use computers to analyze whale songs. And they find that each noise of the whale song involves many levels of communication. One researcher said sperm whales use coda clicks that sound unremarkable like a pop gun firing in quick succession. But when the clicks are viewed on a spectrogram, a visual representation of an audio signal, each reveals a remarkably complex pattern. Inside these clicks are a series of shorter clicks, each lasting a few thousands of a second. The more we focus on a click, the more detailed it becomes. And these clicks get shared within whale groups, interspecies. It's just amazing. And they all revise their songs based on the other songs, and these clicks have just levels of detail. There's so much connection. And I start to see more and more the, the me that's here. It's a verb. It's a verb. It's a verb that includes flow and interconnection and everything being informed by everything else. So like I said, to feel all of who you are in the Dharma, we're learning to feel all of who we are, both inside, outside, in, inner and outer combined. And I think the importance of meditation is not to really trust a teacher, not even to trust a form of practice or a religion, it's to trust you. Who are you? And what is the you that you're trusting? And it just gets bigger and richer as you, as you know, as you practice this you that you start to know and learn and to trust. It, it just gets richer and deeper and it starts to include all of life. Minger Rinpoche went on a retreat where he had a really big opening and he said he, he knew without thinking. It would be like to know, just to know, without any thought. Or thought can just be relaxed back and there's just this collective knowing. That's you. Not special experience he had, we all can have that knowing. That's our birthright. That's our face before we were born. That's our wholeness. That's that collective you. The Buddha said, The inner tangle, the outer tangle. Who succeeds in untangling the tangle? <laughs> so as we sit on the Cushion, we're untangling this tangle of patterns and conditioning and ways that our system got clenched, pain that we carry, and we're finding out 
What's the me? What's the you that's not tangled? What's the awareness or the love that's bigger than the emotion? It's bigger than this small self. I like the fact that we leave our shoes at the door, and the Hawaiians also have that tradition. It's really that you're leaving all the tangle and the complications of you outside, and you come in here naked and humble. We're leaving the shoes. The shoes are our self-energy, right? We leave that at the door, and then when we go out again, we pick it up and we wear it around in the world however we need to, but they're shoes. And when we come in here, we just are the the me. We're just the, the you. In the original pictures of the Buddha, they didn't have a Buddha statue. They just had an empty pair of shoes. So there's all these Buddhas out there, our little empty shoes out there. Buddha's out there and Buddha's in here. (laughs) So the silence really is our teacher here, the silence of you. And it's not listening to the silence, but it's listening from the silence. Just notice how that's slightly different. We can sit on the cushion and we can listen to the to the silence. What if you just right now listen from the silence? Silence just is. The you that is timeless just is. What is your direct perception right now of this silence that we each can listen from? You're not thinking about it. What is this silence that is you? That's all of us. Just feel that. And the beauty of this is that there can be millions of sounds, tons and tons of sounds. We can make all the din and all the noise in the universe, and guess what? It always comes back to silence. You notice that silence is the default. We can get very blended with noise because our culture has a lot of noise. But the truth is, it always comes back to silence. Noise is not the natural state of life. Silence is. So what if you trusted that? This silence that is the natural state of life, that is the natural state of you, and you rested there. That's wholeness. That's love. That's compassion. That's courage. That's curiosity, clarity. That's you. And all we're doing on retreat is we're remembering who we are. Again, you know, we knew who we are in the beginning, but for reasons, whatever reason that life clenched our system, we forgot to trust that. We learned not to trust that. And really, as students of the Dharma, as the world gets noisier and speeds up faster, I think we really have an obligation to know this silence and be the keepers of this silence. As Dharma students, we have an obligation to not blend with the noise and the desires and the confusions and the sense of separation and not blend with that. It can be there. But know this bigger you. Like I talked about in walking through that tunnel in Detroit, this long tunnel in the airport where there was just this pulsing light and music 
And it was so confusing to know who I was. I had to make a recommitment as I was walking through that dark tunnel. I am not going to lose my awareness, who I am. And when I came out of that tunnel, I felt empowered rather than confused. And this silence and this you and this wholeness and this clarity and compassion, even if you lose it, it's only one mind moment away. The breath is always right here. It's only one half second away. The truth of who you are is only one half second away. Even if you're lost in anger or fear for years, this silence, this love that you are is just waiting. It's just waiting right here patiently. (laughs) So you don't have to worry. I think it was the Buddha, he said, it's nearer and dearer to you than you are to yourself. It's so near and it's so dear. It's right here. My teacher, Ajashanti, uh, uses the word knowing your irreducible quality of being. What's your irreducible quality of being? No one can take away from it. This silent presence, this compassionate, engaged awareness, your timeless being, you as a verb, your irreducible quality of being. Let's feel that now. How is this unconditioned, irreducible quality of being operating in you right now? And you have to find it later. How is it operating right now? It's you and it's not you. It's all things, isn't it? Ramana Maharshi says, how, someone asked him, how should you treat others? And he said, there are no others. And even Jesus said, when the two become the one, then ye shall enter the kingdom. When the two become the one, how should we treat others? There are no others. And you can find this in everyone. When someone is was asking, Ajashanti's teacher, well, how did he wake up? She said, oh, he already had enlightenment before he came to see me. <laughs> and But she saw everyone that way. She saw the completeness in everyone. And when you really know this bigger you, you, you can see this bigger you, and every, everyone has this completeness. Everyone has this love. That's bigger than emotion. This silence, this irreducibility, everyone has it. And you can see the wholeness and completeness in everyone. The parts become the whole, the whole become the parts. Ramdas says, everything that's happening to you is a teaching designed to burn out your stuff. Your humanity isn't an error. All your desires are part of the journey. And then he adds, ultimately... We are all just walking each other home. So really just paying attention today where your system gets clenched and feeling this bigger wholeness that 
is even bigger than whatever you're feeling or thinking or worrying about. And there's this bigger you that includes it all. There's a flow. And then more and more, your internal world and your internal personal story just starts to not be so interesting or important, and it just starts to end. Ajashanti said, he said, actually, he has no internal world anymore. (laughs) What would be that like if you had no internal world? Then you'd have compassion and confidence and calm and clarity. You'd be meeting life with this wholeness. Without, instead of meeting life with our story. It really comes down to how simple are you willing to let this be? How simple are you willing to let this be? Like watching a deer laying in the sun. It's not complicated, but it's very engaged. There doesn't need to be a you there. There can be a timeless, present, low of just here. I had a friend tell me one time that when he was a little kid, he would just come into a room and he would, his practice as a little child would just say, I am here, (laughs) joyously. And then he'd be outside and he'd go, I am here. (laughs) And I thought, that's like the best Dharma There is, really. Let yourself just go, I'm here. You're watching a fawn. Oh, I'm here. Milarepa said, rest in a natural way like a small child. Rest like an ocean without waves. So our practice, when we make it really simple, which it is, it's just resting in a natural way like a small child. I am here. And I'd like to end with a poem by Dorothy Hunt. And it's called The Altar of This Moment. Place everything you can perceive, everything you can see, hear, smell, taste, or touch upon the altar of this moment and give thanks. It is over so soon, this expression, this single moment of your precious life this one heart pounding itself open with fear or wild joy, this one breath rising in the cold winter air, smoothly and gently, or coughing and sputtering. Bow while you can before this one taste of afternoon tea, warming its way to your belly, or the fragrant orange exploding its You have to love the antics of your mind, imagining life should only be sweet. The bitter makes the sweet, and life is both. It is whole, like you, before you think yourself to pieces. Place this moment's pain and confusion on the altar, too, and give thanks for such grace that wakes you up from sleeping through your life. Pain is greatly underrated as a pointer to knowing, unknowing, yet greatly overrated when taken as identity. In this one moment, your eyes meet mine and there is a single looking. What is peering from behind our masks? 
Can it touch itself across the room? Place your palms together. Touch your holy skin. In another moment, it will shed itself. What will you be then? What were you before you had two hands? What are you now? You cannot capture that and place it on the altar of this moment. It is the altar and this moment's infinite expressions and the seeing and its own devotion to itself. You are that. You are that. I am here. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.